After a long absence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sinners, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete, and to have caused harm and loss. But now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there stood by me, beg your pardon, the 22nd verse, and I exhort you to be of a good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of a ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God, whose I am and whose servant I am, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God has given unto thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sinners, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. May the Lord add his blessing to his word. Now, could you imagine on a stormy sea and all hopes and knowing they were out of the will of God, because God had warned Paul not to lose from Crete, but he couldn't help it. But they went ahead to shipmaster. He knew more about it than what the Holy Spirit did, you know. So he just loosed and went ahead anyhow. And they got on the ship there and the sea, and it come up a great storm. And for several days and nights, there was no moon, no stars, 14 days and nights. And all hope that they'd ever be saved was all give up and gone. It's bound to be drowned in it. Throw out the tackle of the ship and everything still just let it drive and it's just going anyway. And Paul went out into the gallery and prayed. There was an angel that stood by Paul and said, told him the message. Now I can just see that little Jew come up on top of the, the ship where all these men were weeping, crying, they'll never see their wives again, never see their children again. It's like the doctor tells you that you just get ready to die, the cancer's going to kill you, and you'll never get up to the bed no more, and your days are finished, and, and they're weeping, they'll never be up again or something like that. But this little Jew went down in there and prayed through until he touched God. And in a vision, standing by his side, he saw an angel which brought him the message, the angel of the Lord. And he came up and he said, Wherefore, sirs, be of a good cheer, for the angel of God, whose servant I am, stood by me last night and said, Fear not, Paul, for thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God has given all them that sail with you to you. There won't be any loss of any man. So he said, Wherefore, sirs, be of a good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be just as it was shown me. Now, I'm so thankful. Wouldn't you like to have been there when Paul and I taking place on that ship? Wouldn't we have had a wonderful time just to rejoice and shout with Paul and walk up and down that, the galleries of that ship? Well, I, I couldn't have kept still, could you? I just wonder why we keep still in the same thing taking place here night after night. See? That's what I want. The same thing. If we'd have been there, we'd be just like we are now. The great things of God is so great, and yet people try to imagine so much out in here somewhere in the supernatural, uh, a hocus-pocus like, when it's right down here. I can teach a five-year-old child the kingdom of God better than I can teach a man who's got a, a degree out of college. I can teach him Christ better. He's simple. He just listens to what you say. Watch coming to the platform. You never see God turn a child down. He don't do it. No, sir. Because they're just simple in faith. They believe it. And when they believe it, that just settles it. God says so, and that's, that takes care of it. The little child will believe it. But, oh, my, 
we know better, you know. We know to all the angles and just how could it be? We've got to figure out how could this be? But it be anyhow. What caused me to go to, to Africa on this trip? Just brings up this vision. And I'm watching that clock there, but I'm way early, so I've got plenty of time. It's only 25 minutes before, so I, I suppose I have a whole lot of time. But you, some of you brothers, let me know about when it's just about time to start the prayer line about half hour. I was with Brother Bosworth. It was the night the angel of the Lord picture was taken. How many has got that picture now in your possession? Thank you. I'm sure it'll be a great blessing to you. Here's some time ago, there's a lady at the hospital at the city I live. The picture was sitting on the table. The doctor told her she couldn't get well. This is her story. She said, looking at, not at her brother, but to the angel of the Lord. Now, if you'll notice, friends, that is a, a pillar of fire. George J. Lacey, you read what he said. Now, that's the best that we got in the United States on, on that kind of work, on research. And when he said that day, he said, it, it, the old hypocrite, he meant the unbeliever, said that it can be, never could be scientifically proved that there was a supernatural being, but said he can't say that now. Because here's scientific proof that there is a supernatural being. For you hear what he said, the light struck the lens. And it was there, it was. He said, the mechanical eye of this camera won't take psychology. That it's not psychology. He said, I said it was psychology, Mr. Brandon, myself. But said, mechanical eye of this camera won't take psychology. The light struck the lens. And the, the being was there. You hear what Mr. Dr. Stonewell, how many reads the voice of healing and read that article and there, Dr. Stonewell on that? He said, absolutely. Now, he don't know nothing about this picture yet. He was an atheist, just been converted a few weeks. But he said that that magnetic power of a believer in contact with God was so vital, he said, that even if he believed over the Christ, that, that halo that was painted was absolutely could have been seen. Because it's a power. Now, just think, he took a, a machine. You know, the human being is not made to lie. And if you're telling a lie, they can put you before a lie detector, and your nerves will react. And then they took this same thing and converted it to a way that they could tell whether it was truth or not, and put it on a person praying. And I think it taken, I forget how many thousand kilowatts to send a radio message around the world. And when this woman began to pray in her death, there went out enough power from her so it registered over as far as the needle would go, enough power leaving that woman actually supernatural power that caught on this machine, some kind of a magnetic power of her prayer that was powerful enough to send a radio message 55 times around the world. That's scientific. Man working around in science has found God. That's right. He lives out there. He is in the scientific world. They just touched around on his little basic playthings that he plays with or has out there. Or then, now they're coming up into a place in a category where they can find him. Now, on this picture, Brother Bosworth brought me a picture of Florence Nightingale, and you, I'm sorry we have no more of those books, they're out of print at the time. We wasn't financially able to, it was about $10,000, to cost about a dollar a piece to print them. They put them back in print, they won't print less than 10000 So we couldn't do it. But when the first went out, well then, we sold all of them and they were gone. Then, in there, he got a copyright from, uh, a permit from the copyright to place this picture in there. The picture belongs to the Douglas Studios, not me. And uh, and then 
in this picture, as I was saying a few moments ago, a woman in the hospital was looking at it and was praying after her doctor told her she couldn't get well. She claimed that she'd seen that picture, that mill of fire, come out of there and stand over where she was. I know the one thing. I don't know what taken place there, but the next day she was sent home well. I don't know what. I, I know that. And she was sent home well. Now, it's his being. And if we'll read the scripture, we find out that it was a pillar of fire that led the children of Israel. That same pillar of fire, I believe, was over Jesus Christ. Now, I believe that he's risen from the dead, showing the same signs that he showed when he was here on earth. And it's that same pillar of fire is over the church right now. The same angel of God. That same presence. Now, there is times you say, God, we have to want to look at it that way. But there's many times that things are done and said that angelic beings brings the message to him. God was in a certain place and met a certain man at a certain time, and if he could have found a man one time in the end, he would have slew him and so forth. We realize that there's times where God is certain places. That's exactly true. The Scripture teaches that. Now, in this case, when we promised God, and I told you a few nights ago about the healing of Florence Nightingale, when we went out into Africa, and my wife is sitting somewhere in the building. I haven't spied where she's at yet, but anyhow, I guess she's got back up in the corner. So, anyhow. She's as bashful as I used to be. <laughs> and so, anyhow, when, when we would know so much about the, uh, how, how much of geography we know, I told her, she said, where are you going now, honey? I said, I'm going down to Durban, South Africa, uh, uh, Durban, Southern Rhodesia. That's where I'm going. What? And she wrote, I said, you write all of my mail to Durban, Southern Rhodesia. And here she's writing to Durban, Southern Rhodesia, and Durban's in South Africa, not in Rhodesia. Just be like writing... Um, uh, Owensboro, uh, British Columbia. There is no such a place. But, see? but anyhow, the man, I guess, see how dumb we were, so they just, the post office sent it on down to South Africa, another nation, and down in Durban. But when we landed in Johannesburg that afternoon, I guess there was many, many thousand people at the ramp. And so then, when we went out that night and got into Durban, my brother Bosworth sitting here, which was right present for every bit of it. And, uh, there was Mr. Baxter and many of the others. Uh, my boy also was present. And when we landed, well, then they had taken me several miles out into the country where they had no place to put the people in, no park, no nothing in the city. They had to go way out in the country to where there's a big school and place them out there. And just the police was guarding the roads up and down, just strings of people for miles. And there they were all out in this place. It taken us all just 25, 30 minutes to drive to where the place was. And when we got there, I'd been in the air for three days and three nights, almost wrecked twice. You heard the paper here about three years ago when a car, 52 were killed at one time. We were just behind that accident. And the same place the instrument broke, and we were over that city, my boy and I, over that city for about two and a half hours trying to come down with no instrument. It's the fog. You couldn't even see nothing. You'd go right down real low and see the lights, and it'd go... My wife would have been screaming and crying and praying if she had noticed I was in that big sand. But I was, not only was she praying, but she had been praying, I was praying. <laughs> That's right. And I was very thankful that I had a Heavenly Father who was riding by my side to help me down. Sailors and things, when he got over there, said, well, this is the last one. The rest away from here, we'll go to the ship. They can have all the airplanes. They won't. We'll take ours to water. And so they were ready to get away. And so... Finally, when we got in there and got out to the place where the meeting was, we just got to the platform, tired, no sleep. You can imagine what it was, rocking and pitching in that air for all that time. 
and thousands of people, just like oceans of people, were studying. And they were, I, strange, I thought Africans were all black people, but every one of these was white. And I said, are these Africans? Yeah. They're all Africans people. So I expect when I landed in, down there that I'd have to find a beaten path to the little hut. But I come to find out it's more modern in our cities or in America. It's just a beautiful place, uh, Johannesburg. So I thought, my, this is strange. I thought, where's all the David Livingstons? They won't need them around here anymore. And uh, so um, they, we went out to the people there. And just as soon as we got to the platform, I hadn't noticed coming across the top of the people. I guess Brother Bosworth, I hadn't been there about five minutes. The vision started, and I seen a, a, a bus moving like this over top of the audience. And it's something blue, and I just kept watching it till it got to me. I wasn't saying nothing because I was tired and didn't know just exactly where to make my first beginning to close in to a vision, to close in with the individual to a vision. And I noticed the, the bus coming. It come right close to me, real close, and I seen a sign on it that said Durban. And the bus went out of my sight. Well, I just started on speaking and went on. And I noticed you're coming that bus again. And I've seen it stop. I've seen a boy get on that had one leg about six inches short of the other on a crutch. And he held his leg on this crutch, you see, and walked like that. He got on the bus, and I've seen him coming on like that. That bus come on up close to me and stopped again. Well, I just kept on speaking about that. I'm awfully tired tonight. I'm really worn out. I said, we're expecting a great meeting here in Africa. We just closed one in New York City. And uh, I did something about New York City. Now, you watch. Remember, there's something about New York City. Don't forget that. Yeah. All right. I just left New York. New York. I said I'm so tired, and I watched that. And then I seen this boy again coming walking across the audience. And he didn't have this crutch under his arm anymore. He was just normal and well, with his leg just a normal size. Now, this is the first thing I've been sitting there about, been, I've been in the audience of people at least ten minutes. And I happened to look at where the boy walked and stopped in the air. I looked right down below him, and there sat the boy, just about the distance of this building hardly far. And I looked and seen the boy. I said, don't you come from Durban there, some with a white shirt on? He said, yes, sir. Spoke English? Yes, sir. He come from Durban. I said, aren't one of your legs about six inches shorter? He said, that's me exactly. I said, it isn't anymore. You're healing. Here he come walking up there just as normal, just as he could be. And his people getting screaming. And faith, oh my, was one class. Just then I seen a little green car hit the road like this and turn around like this and slide backward, hit a tree. I see him take a young lady, blonde-headed, and she was all broke up. They wouldn't let a mover. They went and got the doctors, and they put her on an ambulance. It's in her spine. She's broke three or four places of spine. But I seen the thing take place, but I couldn't tell what it was. I couldn't see that girl. It went away. And I have, there's a high bench, like a high place built. I have to look right down under me, and here she laid, right down here, beneath, right here. I see it was the same girl. I said, didn't you have an accident recently? Yes. And I said, you was in a little green car, and the car slid sideways and backed up like this and hit a tree. She said, that's right. I said, your back is broken. Her mother said, oh, she just can't move. I looked out, and I seen the girl going real fast right down across the audience in a vision, going walking real fast. I said, stand up. 
in the name of Jesus Christ, for thus saith the Lord, you're healed. And she said, her mother said, oh, no, darling, no, no. So she moved, she'll die. The doctor said she'd die. And the girl jumped up and ran on a big screen, and her mother fainted and fell in the same cot. So they just let her lay in the cot and let the girl walk. Is that right, Brother Bowser? <laughs> yeah, sure. The next night, I saw this. Her back was broken three places. I saw her in the audience the next night and waited till I got her eye and was come up here. This, and she came up and sat. Uh, I told her to sit on one of these seats back here. Her brother Branham comes. I want to introduce you. <laughs> And so she sat there, quick as I saw you come through that side door. Come quick, come quick. And that is just the picture. We have the picture now. That's right. Thank you, brother. That she was, her mother fainted and fell in the same cot, so just pushed it over and her mother laid a cot while the girl rejoiced in the Lord going up and down the place. And the doctor said if she moved, and you know what it is, a back, broken back, an accident on a highway. Yeah, even a, uh, uh, no one can move that person unless the doctor orders it. And you better know what you're speaking about before you call such a person, too. If that's in your own head, or something, the person would kill himself. But don't worry. If God says so, you move. That's exactly. Because it'll be that way. Well, we would just order so many things happening in about 15 minutes. I just collapse almost. They take me to the house. And on the road up, there was a man, Brother Schoeman, man they have known He was the chairman of the National Committee. All the churches of Africa was cooperating. They're all but the Dutch Reformed Church, and that's really a hard church to get along with. And many of you, I don't mean to say any word about the church, but they don't believe in water baptism. They don't. They don't believe anything of it. And so they just, just a very formal, ritualistic, cold, indifferent church. And so the the next day, uh, Brother Schumann going up, which he was, he belonged to the, the Apostolic Faith Missions of Africa, and he was the president of the of my of my. Uh, group, and he was the National Committee, and Brother Schumann going home that night, he said, oh, I think that was wonderful, but he was telling me that, but yet I know he didn't believe that. I know he didn't believe it. Now I was going home to his house, Del Knight, because there wasn't no places to stay. So I, I went to his house, Del Knight, and went to him, Brother Baxter said, oh, so I tell you, this fellow Schumann's a mighty man. I said, yes, he is. <laughs> I know he wasn't believing that. So I, next morning, come out, and he was a nice man, but he thought sure that I was is the mental telepathy or some kind of a, a trick I had up my sleeve to do it. It was like a rabbit's foot or something, you know, you rub on it. So he, he, I know he was suspicious. And the next morning, I got up and we went to breakfast. And when we were sitting at the breakfast table, I thought I looked at him again and caught him just the way to know that I catch his spirit. I said, it's beautiful weather in Africa, Brother Schumann. He said, yeah, yeah, very, very good. I thought, uh -huh. You can just feel that little shadow there. I, I knew that he wasn't just exactly where he should be. Uh, so I thought, now, Lord, if you just help me to just kind of shake him just a little, then then it'll, it'll make the thing, because he's the chairman of the committee. And just, I thought, well, if you don't, why, well, it's all right, just let it go. So I was sitting there eating, and after a while, the Holy Spirit come down and I broke a vision across the table while we were sitting there. I said, Brother Schumann, your little girl here, isn't her name Andrea? He said, yeah. And I said, um, about six months ago, you almost lost her, didn't you? I said, yes, sir. I said, it was something wrong in her throat. I said, yes, sir. I said, she's had a hard time swallowing since then. Had said, say, that's right. <laughs> and uh, and um, then it turned around and told him something that I won't say here because some of his friends may be sitting here. And he just almost passed out at the table. He said, Brother Branham, I told Brother Baxter before we come in. He said, Brother Bam, I was just a little bit skeptic. 
but I want to reach my hand to you. It's clearer then. <laughs> he, he, he knew. So the next, that day we had a marvelous time. The next morning, Brother Baxter, all those who would come in, he said, Brother Branham, he said, I got some news for you. He said, what? He said, how would you like to go way down through Kimberley and Cape Town and all around through that, went up around Victoria and through, oh, I said, that'd be marvelous. He said, you know what? That Brother Duplessis has come over here and set up an itinerary, all of them, we're going to take a great big itinerary, hundreds of miles down through here. I said, marvelous, marvelous, that's just fine. So then, after service that night, I went home, went in the room, went to bed, went to sleep, and about two o'clock in the morning, I woke up, I heard some kind of a little bird out the window, and I sit over, raised up, looked through those reeds to look where, where a bird was, and he was, he was tripping at night. I thought, that is a nightingale. I looked at my watch, it was about two o'clock. I come back, sit down, turn on a little dim light, begin to, to read my Bible. And just then I looked up, and here he was, standing before him, milling around. He said, don't you go with him, but you stay right here in Durban. And said, you, uh, right here in and Johannesburg, said, you stay here two weeks, and then there's going to be a man by the name of Jackson is going to take you lion hunting, and you're going out, and you take that week with him, and go out and hunt lions and tigers and things for a week out in the jungle. Say, come back, and then you go over to Durban, a place called Durban, and stay there a month. He said, now that you might know that this will come to pass, he said, tomorrow morning, he said, they're going to take you down to the city, and there's going to be a... a a little garden-like, and a lady standing there with a purple shirt on. That's going to be a rare thing. You tell the man that they're going to take you down there. And said, then they're going to get a doctor, and they're going to work around to another minister, and this doctor's going to be a thin man wearing glasses. And said, the doctor's telling him that he's got cancer and dying. But said, it's an error. It's an error of the doctors. They cut the wrong thing in him, and he's dying because of that. And said, don't pray for him, or he's going to die. And he said, now, and on the road, they're going to take you to another city. And on the road, you're going to meet a girl. She'll be selling beads on the side of the road. She's going to have a great big skin place on the side of her head. And while you're standing there, said, Mr. Baxter is going to call your attention to a very funny-looking big bird making a noise as it goes across the, the plane. And said, by this, you'll know, and they'll know, that you're not to take that itinerary that them ministers have got set up, but you're to go this way. Well, that settled it. So I went in, woke Brother Baxter up. I said, Brother Baxter, we can't take that itinerary. He said, well, you have to tell Brother Schoolman tomorrow. I told Brother Schoolman, oh, if you've ever been in Africa, why, that's kind of hard to let them know that. You know, I said, oh, it's set up. So here comes the whole association. That night, the Lord worked a powerful miracle. And the next morning, when we got up, they had a, I'll tell you what the miracle was. I just, as the second night there, third night it was in that night, and here's what taking place. Now, this Africant man, this boar, had never heard about the angel of the Lord. Now, we got the shirt, got everything to show, the papers and everything, headlines, two or three pages, in the Dutch Reformed Church, which controls. And the second morning, while I was there, I forgot to tell you this, the first night I was there, and the first night I spoke and had seen the miracle, there happened to be a group of the Medical Association out there, and the next morning, the entire Medical Association of all South Africa called me to come to breakfast and give me the right hand of fellowship and said, Brother Branham, that's Janya Wine Divine Healing. How about that, Brother Bosworth? The Janya Wine Divine Healing, which we're absolutely not against. He said, there's been many people down here that didn't believe in doctors. We heard you speak for the doctors. There's been people that we could have helped, Reverend Branham, and we are Christians. He said, we could have helped them, but they had to 
the Christian science idea that you shouldn't have, a doctor, and said, through that they died, many of them, and we believe we could have helped them, and said, now they love you, and you spoke for us, and said, now we're speaking for you, and anything that we can do for you, let us know in every hospital in the whole transport, for free state, orange state, everything's absolutely open, anybody can come, you can go to any hospital, anything we can do, we'll be right along with you to help you. And they followed me throughout the entire Africa. And um, uh, in a few moments, I'll get to the story of the conversion of some of them. If I can hurry to get my time in now. All right. Now, I'll get my story out before my time is up. So then, the, that same night, there was a, one of these Boer ministers at the uh, church of the, of the, of the Boer, they, called the Dutch Reformed Church. They went out. He went out to see his friend, and his friend said, I was a spiritualist mind reader. So he went over to his friend. He said, God have mercy on you. Said it's the hour of visitation to Africa. And you and you doing such a thing as that, so that's sin. He said, the man ain't nothing in the world but a polished up soothsayer. And he said, I go out and have prayer for your sinful soul, because God might strike you dead. And he goes out and kneels down on a little, a little uh, I believe it's a peach tree, a little peach tree just about 20 yards from the house. Raised up his hands, he, they wore a white shirt and a white tie. And so he raised up his hands and said, God, have mercy on my friend in there. He's going to die and go to hell with such thoughts as that. And uh, said, an hour of visitation is here. And look at him in there. There he is sitting in there. Oh, he's just telling God all about it. Now, here's the man's story. He said that a pillar of light, about two foot long, about eight inches or ten inches high, of a light came down and the light parted from side to side. And that man described that angel to a doc. That a large man, 200 pounds, dark hair to his shoulders, walked down to him and laid his hand on his back. And he said, when he laid his hand on his back, it felt like a fire burnt plumb through his body. And he said, rise and tell your friend that this is the hour of visitation and not to condemn this man. So he jumps up from there and he said, did I go to sleep? Was I dreaming? And he ran and said, well, well, I, I don't. And he ran up and began to tell his friend about it. And his friend looked around, and there was the shape of that angel's hand scorched in that white broadcloth shirt. And the next morning, the man fainted, and they took it, and here was a picture that big in the paper, went plunged through all Africa. I got the shirt. Now, they called me down to authorities and checked my hand with it. There was, and there was a man's hand, just perfectly a man's hand, scorched right through his shirt. We got the shirt. Then it was an African paper. Right away, bye. And then them, they wanted me to leave. Well, I said, no. The Lord told me to stay here. He said to me, stay here. The next day when we started out, everything the Lord had said would take place took place just exactly that way. Even do a little bead salesman. Brother Baxter trying to take a picture. I said, don't you remember that bead salesman I told you? Oh, he said, Brother Brown, that's a, just then something went squawk, squawk, and it was a, a wild peacock going flying down through. I said, he said, look at that bird there. Wasn't that a funny looking thing, Brother Bam? I said, this. Brother Schumann said, that's a wild peacock. And I said, you remember Brother Baxter Waterfield? He said, well, Brother Bam, that's exactly, isn't it? And I said, Brother Schumann, I can't take that itinerary. I said, I'm sorry to have to interfere with you ministers, but he told me not to take it. I said, Brother Bam, we have to take it. Oh, I said, but you may have to take it, but not me. <laughs> I said, no, I don't have to take it, Brother Schumann. The next morning, they're just that persistent. Here come the cars right up. They go, anyhow. Well, I. Is, is go, uh, Brother Baxter said, are you going, Brother Bram? I said, no, sir. So here they was outside, and my suitcase wasn't packed none. I said, no, Lord, tell me not to go. Well, incoming ministers, and Brother Bowser's no. 
We had a round of it. He said, well, the meetings are closed yet. And I said, ridiculous. Right where the Lord give us the favor and everything and tell us to stay here, here's where we're to stay. And no, they wanted to go. And so I cut my clothes and arm my arm and so forth. And we got out. Brother Bosworth and all of them right along. And we started down. And as we started going, just a hundred and something miles, I said, what are you going down here for? Well, we promised Brother so-and-so we'd be here. But I say this with reverence, Brother, if you want to get in trouble, just mess with the preacher. You sure get in trouble. So that's right. Now, there's God's servants. They have to be a little suspicious and things. But, brother, I've had more trouble of preachers getting me out of the will of God than anything I've ever seen in my life. Yes, sir, because one will say, the Lord, see, the man's right. If the Lord told him to do that, let him go do it. He may tell me something else. And no matter what ever tells you, if he's a prophet, if he's a preacher, whatever he may be, if God's told you something contrary, don't you pay no attention to that prophet, preacher, priest, or whatever it is. You listen to God. Always listen to God. How many ever read 1 Kings 13, where a little prophet went out and prophesied and done works, and God told him something to do? And another real prophet come to him and told him, said, The Lord met me and said, You come to my house and eat. You know what happened, don't you? Yes, sir. You listen to God. Regardless of who says or what says, you listen to God. Well, the minister said, We promised our brethren that we'd bring you to their town. I said, What size city is this we're going to? About 3,000. Well, it was. 10, 15, 20,000 people out there to go to the meeting. Where you go to Putnam? Don't know. But we promised, brother, we'd be there. <laughs> there you are. I said, I, I appreciate that. I love our brethren. But God has said, about to be right over there. So we started down the road, brother and sister schooling in the car, and Billy Paul, I believe it. No, I was by myself. I think Billy was back with Brother Bosworth, man. And uh, three or four car loads of ministers coming. Kept going on down, the Holy Spirit said, Are you going to listen to me? I said, Brother Schumann, stop the car. He said, What's the matter, Brother Bram? I said, Just stop. And he stopped and said, Well, what? we're way ahead of the rest of them because he drove like Jehu. So he pulled the brake up and he, and he said, Well, what's the matter? I said, I'm just not going any farther. Well, he said, Brother Bram said, I don't care if he's staying up there. I said, He's the chairman. He said, That's my city. That's my district. He said, But the brother wants you to go down there. And he said, They're not going to listen to that, Brother Bram. I said, well, I'm going to listen to God anyhow. So he, he stopped, and up come the brethren. Now, if anybody here remembers the Shreveport, Louisiana, standing speaking like this, one day the Holy Spirit comes just before going over and said, Thus saith the Lord to me, Be careful, there's a trap for you in Africa. Well, I thought it was witch doctors and so forth. I thought, well, I know who God is, and witch doctors ain't going to bother me. I didn't know it was among brethren. See? So sly was Satan. And we stopped on the road. Up come Brother Bosworth and Brother Baxter and all of them stopped and all of them. So Brother Schumann went back there and said, you'll have to go see him. But he just refuses to go any farther. Well, up come Brother Baxter and got kind of huffy with me. <laughs> he said, Brother Bannum, listen. He said, we're about 12,000 miles away from home. We're down here at the mercy of these people. And don't you think these ministers, we should consider them? I said, as far as considering and being reverent to brothers, we should. But I should look to God first. And he said, Brother Bannum, uh, I just just can't believe it. It's exactly right. Then up come Brother Bosworth. And Brother Bosworth sitting here now. Watch right, right, and wrong. Brother Bosworth said, Brother Ben, I believe you're mistaken. And I said, My old saintly dad that stood on the platform of me and watched the visions and works and wonders and so forth, and hear me say, Thus saith the Lord. Brother Baxter, Brother Bosworth. Lovely, both of them. Well, 
the ministers, another African minister walked up and said, Brother Bram, don't you think God speaks to somebody else besides you? I said, yes. Of course, I had the same idea at one time. I said, but I don't know why. He said, God told us to make that a terror. I said, but God told me not to take it. I said, he might have told you, but he told me not to take it. And for my part, I'm not going to take it. So then, there we all hugged together on the road. <laughs> all right, stopped in the middle of the road, meeting waiting. And I said, you remember, Brother Bosworth, I said, I'm not going to do it. So they went on and hung all around. Brother Baxter said, well, Brother Bam, I go on down to the city at least, and then pray for them people there, and we'll go home. But I'm just too tired and sick. Brother Baxter's very nervous, you know. And, and he said, I'm just through with the whole thing. I'll wash my hands up. If you can't listen to things like that, then I'm through with the management of it. I said, well, you can be that too. But I said, I'm going to listen to God regardless. God, if I'd only hung with that thing. And then I walked over there and got some locust leaves off the tree. And pulled the locust leaves down and put them in my hand. And there said, Brother Bosworth, Brother Baxter, and several ministers. And I walked along with these locust leaves, throwing it on their feet. I said, Thus saith the Lord. From this time on, we're out of the will of God, and it will be nothing but trouble until we return. Got back in the car crying like a baby. Sat down in the car and held my head down. Brother Schumann glad to get me back in the car, so away he went with me again. We got down there in that little city, and there they was laying out there in the fields and hills, no place to go, no place to eat, nothing. Laying out there. That great big place back there ready for us. Just moved out of it. All right. Immediately, Brother Bosworth starts over to uh, kind of give a little beginning of the meeting. And then come up a tropical storm and like to drown the whole bunch. Now I was sitting down the house. Out of the will of God, just as much as Abraham was when he was in Korea. Just sitting down in the house. I said, Lord, let him have a lesson of it. So I was just sitting in the house. About midnight, in come Brother Bosworth, pranced it all. Oh, we tried. I said, uh-huh. So the next day, Oh, that'll be all right. He said, we, and you've never seen a storm and you hear a tropical storm. You hear our lightning flash and roar, and that's why it's just, just like that, the lightning flashes. Just a constant roar. Boom, 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 boom. The lightning is going. And then all of them like to drown. It's sick people and everything. So then the next morning, he cleared off and said, oh, this will be fine tonight. And then when it comes nighttime, just about time he got ready to take me, there'll come up a cold spell like the frozen ball to death. Right. About 10 o'clock, come into the house, 11 o'clock. I said, uh-huh. I said, now tomorrow night we'll have an earthquake. I said, we're well, out of the will of God, brethren. Brother Bosworth, my old saintly dad, sitting here, sitting there at the table, at the round table. We just got into that Brother Freeze house, and his, I just met his wife. Sitting there at the table, I looked over to his wife. I said, lady, told her what she was suffering with, what she'd had, what was wrong with her, and said, you're healed. And right there, God healed her and made her well. Looked over to Brother Free and told him that was in the house. I said, now do you believe? We believe. But the ministers, they were no, we got to go on. We're going on anyhow. Well, we fussed till about 2 o'clock in the morning, wasn't it, Brother Bosworth? And now, there's many things that I make a mistake, and God sometimes lets your very best bosom friends, you know that? Wrap right around you. Now, Brother Bosworth was just as sincere. He's sitting here, and so is Brother Baxter. But you see, God was giving me a try. So he said, uh, somebody, Brother Bosworth said to me, he said, Brother Bram, I believe now, if you'll go down through that way, they told him they had natives down there. But we didn't know the truth of it. The only place there wasn't any segregation was the Durban. 
And we didn't know it at the time. Brother Bosworth is looking at it from the natural ministerial standpoint. Like, if I had to quit this meeting right in the next ten minutes and walk away, somebody said, well, that guy's a hypocrite. You just don't understand. You have to do what the Holy Spirit says. I can't be like some of them set meetings up for two or three years ahead of time. I don't know even an hour from now what God's going to have me doing. But I, whatever he tells me, I'm going to do it by his grace. So then, watch this lesson, and then you'll understand. And then, uh, Brother Bosworth said, Brother Bram, I believe if you'll go on down there, you'll see the exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we just do or think, and so forth. That's his word. I said, Brother Bosworth, I put my hand in his, I said, as many battles as we've stood together, and I'm telling you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that we're out of the will of God, and it's going to be nothing but trouble. All the ministers begin to carry on, so they begin to talk about it along about 2 o'clock in the morning, the permissive will of God. God would permit it. It wouldn't be His perfect will, but then they'd put up thousands of dollars for advertisement, rented great big auditoriums of things, big baseball parks and things down through there. Why, well, it's no more than right. We should put thousands of dollars, and natives is already piling in from everywhere all down through. I said, God can send them all up here. And we found out later he, it would have been right. But no, they wouldn't listen to that. Uh-uh. No, we had to go anyhow because it promised the brothers. So he said, you said, say we're going to have an earthquake tomorrow night? I said, I don't know what we'll have tomorrow night. Or tell what we'll have. And I, well, they asked the permission. Well, I said, God might permit it, but it'll never be his will. So I was crying again. So in the room we went, and my little old boy, I don't see him standing here anywhere, but he's in here somewhere in the building. When we walked out of the room, I was alone. He put his arm around me, come out with me. He said, Daddy, don't you listen to those preachers. He said, if nobody in the whole country will stand by you, I'll stay with you if we have to hitchhike back home. <laughs> and I said, well, Billy, I, I don't know what to do. I'm, here we are, down here, these people, and <laughs> if we ever got back, they had to pay it away. <laughs> so we was, we was, I said, i got enough friends in America, I believe, to send me a ticket to come home. And I'd stay back to them later. And I said, I, I, but if I go back home, I'm still not doing what he told me to do. He told me to stay in Johannesburg. And so I, Billy said, well, Daddy, I'll stay with you. I said, well, come on, let's pray, honey. We went in the room, our room, and there's a great bunch of ministers. They went in their rooms and so forth. They said, go ask the Lord if he'll permit you to do it. Then we've got everything set up like this. Well, I prayed. Billy went to bed and went to sleep after he got tired. He prayed a little bit, and kid like crawled up and went to sleep. So I, I just kept on praying. Along about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, here he comes. I said, who are these men? And what do they mean, Lord? He said, go on with them. But you're going to pay for it. You go with them. He said, you can go. If you want to go, all right. But remember, you're going to pay for it. He said, tomorrow morning, go wake up your boy. He had respect to Billy. If Billy had only submitted his way to God and believe in God, the ministry of mine would just be a little bitty thing. I know what's in the boy. But he's just an adolescent age, and he just, he just don't know where he's standing. But I know that boy, he sat here another night, and he said, Daddy, I was going down the road, and something, he'll just tell you, say, he'll say, Daddy, you know, we've never been on this road before, he said, right along another place, there's going to be a barn set in a certain place, and a certain, well, sure, he's just exactly that way, see? And that's what gift is laying so close to him, if he just move over into it, it would be wonderful. But he's just that stoic age, you know, and adolescent, and you know what I mean. And so I pray that God will settle him down someday and put him on a platform that will give a ministry that will just bring millions of souls to Christ. I do. You pray for him, too. And so he got a lot of front, but I know what Billy is in the back. So then uh, and we, we were, he went in there, and an angel of the Lord told me, he said, you go wake up, Billy, and tell him that tomorrow morning this storm or weather is going to clear up, 
in a Sunday school, the Sunday school service out on the desert, they're going to ask you to come pray for the sick. He's go, there's going to be a boy come with me. See, he comes so that nobody would talk to me. When I'm on, coming on the road, they don't let anyone talk when you're out there on. He said, now, uh, when uh, he comes, he's going to come in a little black car, and there's going to be a boy come with him, and he's going to pick up another boy. And on the road down, there's going to be a lady standing by dressed in a white sapphire suit at the eucalyptus tree. Near the bridge, you're going to be striking another lady with a stick. Your boy will call your attention. By that, you know, if you're permitted to go, I won't take your life, but you're going to pay for it. I went by him, woke up Brother Bosworth. He had a little a little light there. Billy get him. He pressed on. The Lord speaks to him along in the nighttime with something. He writes it down on a piece of paper so he can have it for the next day. He said he couldn't remember as good as he used to, so he'd have to write it down when the Lord would give him something. I went in, woke him up, woke up Brother Stadsmith, Brother Baxter, Brother Bosworth, and all of them, the ministers. I said, Thus saith the Lord, that God has told me that I could go, but I'd pay for it, and our meetings will not be like they should be. But if you're determined, I'm willing to take this to whatever the whipping is to come. But we shouldn't do it. And I told him just exactly what the morning would be, and it's still storming, man. I said, what would be? And the next morning, it happened just exactly. Is that right, Brother Bosworth? Just exactly the way the Lord said, Billy, come at him in the same way. And boy, and he's had his hand back like this. The boy started talking to me. The boy motioned, my boy motioned his hand not to do that. I was sitting there praying, waiting until he got to the platform. And, and uh, just then, Billy said, He's looking around behind the seat. There are driving wheels on the right-hand side. And he's looking this way. He had his arm across. He's sitting in the front. Another boy and I in the back. He said, uh, Daddy, look at there. And there was that native with that white suit on, standing with that eucalyptus tree near the bridge, fixing a strike together. I said, What to tell you, Billy? The little fellow started crying. I said, Daddy's headed for some trouble for himself. But here we are. I said, The next time I ever come to this country, I better be straightened out before I get here. And I said, I won't, I won't come if it's not. We went on out. At the meeting that day, went on down into the very next town was Kimberly, wasn't it? A big diamond mine for the president take us down and showed us the mine. And we had about 15,000 people and a little building that would seat half of this. And that Afrikaans minister, Brother Bosworth, went to him and said, Well, is there a place? No place can get it. And anyhow, we're going to have it in my church. The brother promised me we could have it in our church. Brother Bosworth said, Well, ridiculous, man. Said, look at the streets are packed full of people. The fields are standing full of people. Said, you mean to tell me that you want in your little old church to have a seat about three or four hundred and around fifteen thousand or more people standing there? The brother told me I could have it in my church, and that's just where it's going to be. And poor old Brother Bosworth, I've never seen him out of humor in my life. But he come back up to the house. He said, let's take a walk. We went walk. He said, Brother Bosworth, did you ever hear of such? It's ridiculous. I said, of course, Brother Bosworth, that's exceedingly abundantly. <laughs> I said, we're out of the will of God. Brother Bosworth said, I just can't stand that preacher acting like that. And downtown he went on his own hook. Went out there and rented a great big stadium at Cedar Remember, one real nice. Had the meeting. Went on down to Cape Town. On the road coming back. Coming out of Cape Town. Here's the story starts. I got sick. Started getting sicker. I found my Dr. Durbin. About two weeks later, I was really sick. I couldn't even hold my head up. And I got to Durban, and a meeting there consists of nearly 100,000 people, or 30,000 converts in one day, and they said, we promised Brother so-and-so, 2,000 miles farther up in Rhodesia, I should go, after about two or three days meeting in Durban, walk off and leave 100,000 natives that had pulled for as many as hundreds of miles and packing their loved ones on reeds through the jungles to be healed. That's exceedingly abundantly. And there, the white and black could come together. They separated each tribe and so forth. But the only place in Africa that you could do it. Is that right, Brother Bosworth? The Holy Spirit knew that all the time. And we didn't. So then the rest of the meeting, I just barely lived to get home.
And when I come home, come to find out, I had an African amoeba dysentery. Blood just pouring just as hard as they could. Nothing would stop it. It was going to throw me in a pest house when I got to America. It took me into a doctor and examined me. He says, it's the worst case I ever saw in my life. He put me in a place and gave me 60 days treatment. God just turned his back on me and said, go ahead, take it, you want it. I said, oh, Lord, help me, help me. And he just let me just go ahead and holler. And I just cried and begged and everything else. Didn't do no good. Months passed, just the same. Never let up at all. Just kept on. The doctors gave me everything they had. And, the, and he take an exam and said, I only got one more treatment. That's a strict artist me. He said, I can't give you that very much. He gave me seven doses of it. And I turned as yellow as a pumpkin. He examined me again and said, Reverend, if I give you... His father was a minister right here in Kentucky. Dr. Lucas at Louisville, Kentucky, if you'd like to ask him. Dr. Lucas and Ryan. And so he, the best there is on amoeba in this country. And he said, Reverend Brown, that's the worst type of amoeba. It's not a germ, it's a parasite. Gets into the stomach, the intestinal tract, gets stuck, uh, stuck on, the, on the intestinal tract of the mucus, is gone, then gets to the bloodstream, takes your life. So then, and they're in a little cone. And when you send medicine out, they just shut up and don't eat it. And I tell you, you never get over it hard. So then, I, then I was laying there dying. So then they give me the, that, and they give me examination after that. I had more amoeba than I had in the first place. Now he said, Reverend Bram, I don't want to alarm you. I said, you're a married man, got a couple of children, three. I said, yes, sir. He said, you return home now. There's nothing we can do for you. He said, there's nothing in the line of medicine that can be done. He said, now, if those amoebas retire, while they, you may go on all right and have these breaks the rest of your life. He said, if they go into the farthest from the mucus gland into the bloodstream, you'll start taking a real high fever. And if they gather on the liver, it'll push out a knot, and you'll get real heavy cramps here, and you let us know right once, and we'll cut in there and drain that liver out, you'll get over it. But then if it strikes the brain or the heart, you live 10 hours. Well, that's a lot of encouragement. I went home, my poor little wife sat there, and I told her, well, what am I going to do? My ministry's ended now. I got two little children to raise, one seven, the other two. Now what am I going to do? That's exceedingly abundantly, not obeying God. I walked up and down the floors. I cried. I begged. I persuaded. Back and forth, back and forth. Got down to about 110 pounds. Just walking back and forth, crying and praying, back and forth and back and forth in the floor. God still couldn't rest at night. Just... Every time, I thought I had a fever every five minutes. And I just knew the fever was coming. I was laying there, and the little girl and I was in one of the bedrooms sleeping, wife and the other little girl was in the next bedroom, the hallways between the bath, sitting between the two beds. So in that room, I was laying there. I woke up about 2 o'clock in the morning. I'd been sleeping about a half hour. I put my hand back like this, and I said, Oh, God. And I remember Brother Bosworth when I left Africa. I put my arm around him when we got on the plane. I said, Well, Brother Bosworth, I have fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept my faith, or the faith. He said, I said, I guess my days are over. He said, well, you're just a brand new Branham. He said, you're just a boy. He said, I was your, I said, well, I'm 42 years old. He said, well, I was 40 years old before I started preaching here. He said, boy, you're just a child. I said, you know, I'm 70-something, so I'm just going strong. He said, well, you just got your education, your diploma. It's going on like that. And I thought, oh, my. So, I think about what I told Brother Bosworth. I thought, what does my future hold? I guess it won't be long now till I'll be gone. I thought a fever strike me, 10 hours. My wife will be here with two little 
children to raise, my boy, what will be the outcome of my life? And I ran out and started crying. Now I'm at the place of the vision. I started crying. I looked up and I thought, God, what must I do? I heard something voice. First time for months and months, I knew he was in the room. I looked around. I seen that light standing over there with a, a ship robe. Worrying around. I got out on the floor and I said, Oh God, have you come with pardon for your servant? Or have you come to take me away? And just then I looked coming right down in front of me. Must have broke into a vision. Here come a man walking to me with typewriter paper, look like, and his hands like that. And he walked up. And he said, in so much as you were thinking about your future, I said, yes, I wonder what my future holds. And I looked down on the floor and some had been wrote on. He took that typewriter paper like this and he went through it like that and just one right after the other like that and made a complete road up into heaven. And a great voice screamed from above that paper and said, your future is clear. I come out of it. I began crying. I said, oh, God, if I could just ask him, he never shows me over one thing at a time. And I thought, oh, if I just ask him, if I'd ever go get over these things here, uh, uh, if I'd go to get over it, and what would it be? I thought, oh, if I'd... Here he come back again. And I've seen that time when he come walking to me. And I said, will I ever get over this fear, this... Uh, that I will I ever have it anymore? He said, not at all. And when he left that time... I began to rejoice, and I thought, oh, if I'd only asked him about my meetings. If I'd asked him about my meetings, then everybody's telling me, Brother Robert prays for people faster than I do, and more people tend to meet him because more can get prayed for. I thought, well, what? if I just asked him that, I thought the next time he does, maybe he's, he's, I know he loves me now, he's back talking to me again. And I said, if he, and if he's telling me again, well, then ever come, and just there, here he was again. And I said, Lord, what? When my Lord let me know, it's always showed up to me about how I pray for the people. I said, Should, would you bless the people? You told me that the, the, the gift was to get the people to believe, and then if I be sincere when I prayed, do you want me to lay hands on the people or just pray for the whole group like Brother Bosworth says? Or just uh, just one, just wherever he, I see the vision. He said, just as you're led. Then he went away again. And I started rejoicing then, was real happy, and just then... Here he come again and taking me away. Now listen close now. Have your paper ready. Look. When he come this time, he set me down in a Durban meeting geographically. I was looking just the way the Durban meeting was, looking south. I was in the north. And there was a great Durban meeting, just the same meeting. And I noticed that meeting began to turn blue, raised up off the ground, the people, and faded away towards the west. I talk slow now so the people can get it. That's right. Faded towards the west. And just then I looked in front of me again this way, only it was towards the south. And there was a new meeting greater than the other one was. And there was beautiful people, men and women with their hands up, appraising God. And I said, are all those white people? Now look, I've seen the Africans, the great dark race standing in there. And just then I heard something going, they just make a real humming noise like a dynamo a running. And I looked up. And here came another angel, this one standing by my side, with the same man that always talks. And here come another one from the heaven, and he had a great oscillating light turned on. And this angel caught me by the shoulders and turned me to the east. And as I looked to the east, 
I never seen so many people in all my life, and they wasn't African. They looked like they had had a, a sheet wrapped around them like this and just pulled it up and stuffed it down like the Indians wear, up around Calcutta and up in that way. And they were a little bitty skinny man. And they had their hands up just to praising God and screaming my name as loud as they could to come that way. And I looked, and the angel that stood just above me then, he was a great, mighty-looking fellow, too, and he had this great light in his hand, oscillating, and he turned it on, and it went way back to the hill. And just as far as I could see was nothing but a solid mass of people. And then the angel that was standing near me, when I seen all of that turning that way, he said, I heard the number just as plain as you hear me. He said, there's 300,000 of those in that brand meeting. And I pitched forward in the floor. My strength was gone. I raised up, looked around, I heard something going. The knees turned. Now look, and here come my Bible right down. It was turned to the same scripture where I read tonight. And then it was turning back towards the front of the Bible. And as it turned back towards uh, the front part, it stopped on Joshua, the first chapter, and a finger began to read down, point down along the line. The Lord thy God is with thee, wheresoever thou goest, no man shall stand before thee all the days of thy life. If I was with Moses, so will I be with you. Be very courageous, and so forth like that. So it read down the, most of the chapter, first chapter of Joshua, and then it went away. At that time, I came to... Now, there's somebody knocking on the door. It was my wife sitting there. She knocked on the door. She said, can I come in? Well, I thought, that's strange. My wife asked me to come in. I said, yes. She said, I started in here at 3 o'clock this morning. Now, she's very timid, but very spiritual. This is the first time this ever happened in our home. She said, if something told me not to go in there, there was a vision going on. And from 3 o'clock, this was 6 o'clock, it had been three hours I was in that vision. And we went out and was talking of it, and I was telling her, and my mother-in-law, a saintly, godly old Holy Ghost-filled woman, my wife's mother, lives just below me, and she came up to the house, she said, kind of half crying, she said, is anything wrong up here? She said, the Lord told me to come up here, something was going on up here. There you are, that's two witnesses. I went out to the bank in New Albany, the two boys are very well acquainted, and little Bob Dennison, I guess you know him, at the bank. Union National Bank, and I want to pick up my check to see if I had any income tax to pay. And when I went out, I noticed him weeping. And I went over to him, I said, what's the matter, Bobby? He said, why, Billy Branham. He had noticed Miss Morgan being healed with cancer. He said, Billy, most of my people die with cancer in the bowels. He said, I'm just bleeding. He said, last night I had a very strange dream. I dreamed that I saw a man come down from heaven dressed in white and told me you was going to be standing here today. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> that was all. God in the mouth of three witnesses. It's going to happen, friend. I went home. I called up Dr. Lucas. I said, Dr. Lucas, I want to come over for examination. He said, what for? I said, I'm, I haven't got any in neither. He said, oh, yes, you got it, Reverend Branham. Lovely man. One of the best men you'd want to meet. One of the nicest little doctors. Him and Dr. Ryan. I said, well, uh, Dr. Lucas, I'd like to be examined. He said, well, I just examined you the other day. Brother Branham said, you got me. But I said, uh-uh. <laughs> I said, would you give me? Oh, I said, come on over. Now, I went over as busy as he was. 
He said, what about it, Reverend? And I said, I haven't got any amoeba. He said, you just got a, you just got a little relief. He said, you just, I said, no, it's not a relief. It's just permanent. I said, I, I, I'm absolutely healed of it. He said, well, I said, will you take another examination? He said, climb up on the table. And he took the smear, went out into the laboratory, come back, said, can I take that again? I know what happened. He goes down, takes it again, comes back. He said, Reverend, you haven't got it. <laughs> I said, what I told you. <laughs> and he said, well, I'll have to examine you for three months before I can let you be free. I said, you can examine me every day if you want to. I said, it's all right. And he said, what happened? And I sat down and told him. I said, you believe that? But how can I doubt it? There he was. And I was healed. God called me to... Now, what I've got to do is more with it, but I've got to close that time to start going for sake. What's happened, friend? Now, I have to go right straight back to Africa, where I started from. There, Von Bonnenberg, I have a little dinner with the Prime Minister of India, Nehru. Von Bonnenberg, India. The Archbishop, which is the Elizabeth Mishnah, the Baptist and Methodist, Wisconsin, and Florida, Dr. Farley, the big Baptist school there, is sponsoring this meeting at West Palm Beach. It's the fundamental churches alone. And the Archbishop of India come over here to find out a lot of Indians were converted in India there. He come over to find out what he's doing, and he received all of this himself. He's going to be in the meeting. John Wells, the one that wrote in the great discrepancy, received the Holy Ghost. Dr. Lee Leggett, the president of the great student mission, received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He said, what is going on? Where is it all? Well, that's what happened. Well, some of them are going to say, well, that's Dr. Lee Leggett. They were working on saying, well, most certainly Dr. Lee wouldn't believe that. I said, what about it? I said, if you want to stand in the hot pot, let him go. We'll get home. Let's move on. We're different types Somewhere in that eastern country, which I believe will be India's death, or there will be three hundred thousand people. I think there will be a ten in the meeting, or there will be the Archbishop of Germany to go down, to get three hundred thousand conversions. He said, because I was sure you there will be a night. 